and we're back. I'm Gervier Bro. I'm here with Jamalkar Sandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into Creed 3 and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. I knew if I was wrestling Brian Danielson, I'd be in for the fight of my life. I knew I had to go the devil versus the dragon, and that's no easy feat. And I knew that I wanted to have the greatest exhibition in the history of our sport. And whether you people like me or not, and I can give a shit if you do, Dave, I don't think anybody can pretend at this point that I'm not the most complete professional wrestler in the business today. All right. In our first segment, we're going to be talking about all the news for this week. We're going to be doing our Oscar predictions, and we're going to be talking about Creed 3. If you want to skip around, we got timestamps in the description. Before we even get into any of that, mm-hmm. one thing I kind of wanted to talk about, I just feel like we're both... Uh, really excited about wrestling right now. Yeah. Right? And I, I didn't want to even, like, talk about it over text. I kind of wanted to just talk about it over here. Sure. Because, like, I thought it would be fun. I don't know if you got a chance to watch Revolution yet. No. AEW's most recent pay-per-view. Not yet. I feel like it flew under the radar because, like, it, the build was very okay. Right. And, like, not a lot of people were, like, very, like, up on it. Okay. But, like, coming off of it, what an incredible show. Mm-hmm. Like, it was such a fantastic show. And I just wanted to quickly just hit a few points. Like, I don't know if you got a chance to, like, just see what the online... Uh, conversation was it at all all i've seen honestly from the show online on social media is the iron man match between mjf and uh, brian danielson and people praising that match yeah yeah and just just people talking about how much of a good time that match was it was a fantastic show in general like really start to finish like there was probably like one or two matches you could have like just done without right but like it was such a good show the pacing was fantastic like as far as being like a four-hour show, essentially. Yeah. It just felt like it flew by, especially with having an Iron Man match on there. Mm-hmm. An hour-long match. Did it go on last? Yeah, it but went it, on last. Okay, and cool. It was fantastic. It All was right. such a good presentation of a show. Started off strong with, like, Ricky Starks getting his, uh, like, big moment and all that kind of stuff with Chris Jericho. Fantastic trios match. Like, a whole bunch of other matches. Tag team match was so much fun. But just, I just want to make a point of that Iron Man match. Uh-huh. Just because it was so incredible it's like one of those matches that like it happened and still days later i'm still chewing on it in my brain you mm. know what i mean like i'm still thinking about it i'm still left with like thoughts about mm. that match and right. i just think it's like very cool like when these kind of moments happen because like it feels like, like that same kind of way when like ever like a big match does happen yeah this one felt like number one a massive test for mjf yeah and i felt like he passed it with flying colors right but secondly what i, I feel like is almost like lost in this moment but will probably remember like down the road is just what Brian Danielson has done. Like, this guy's incredible, mm. right? Like, if I could just go on, like, a little bit of a tangent of Brian Danielson love, like, I just want to share my appreciation for this dude because he went from being, like, this guy who signed in to, to wrestling with, like, Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And, like, became, like, this indie darling on ROH. Just everybody loved him, but he made himself so over over there, like, to the point where, like, everyone just understood. This guy's about to wrestle. Pay attention. He's so good, right? His whole run has never been like yo this chant is really great like that was cool to elevate everything or like look at how like flashy his presentation is like he never really did that to like a really big degree Mm -hmm. but for him it's always been look how good of a wrestler he is and that's followed him all the way through going all the way to the WWE becoming like this massive deal of just being like he's great like like the fans never like got behind this chant and all this kind of stuff but really what they're doing is talking about like dude can't you see how good this guy is right and like eventually he gets to this point where he gets he gets taken like wrestling gets taken away from him like right. as like an art form like as a form of expression for him but he gets to come back now to like AEW and he gets to have all these incredible matches and just like deliver in his art and this match in particular was just like a cap of that because 
as crazy as it sounds, I think this was his best match. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's a really notable thing considering the career this guy's had. That's crazy. Do you think, like, you, you said that the build was okay. Do you think, like, the fact that the event was so, like, good and the match was so fantastic that, like, looking back, that if they'd done a better job promoting the build and, and everything, that it would have had, a, I guess, a you know i don't know uh, a bigger payoff or a I bigger i don't think it splash. matters i don't think any of that matters if i'm being honest like uh. for me when i'm looking at it it's just like a delivery of like these guys killed it right right like i think that is like cool within itself because sure. what, what these guys did and, and what i think brian danison really showed is that he's just continuously getting better and he's like a savant yeah when you think of like uh when i watch like a movie like tar yeah and i think like what is an applicable human being in professional wrestling like without all the controversy and stuff Brian Danielson is that guy mm-hmm. and he just continues to prove it over and over but uh, yeah I just thought that was fantastic and I want to kind of ask because I know uh, you were you were t- you I didn't get a chance to watch like most of Raw I saw John Cena stuff yeah I thought that was absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. but I want you to kind of just give me an idea of what happened with uh, Jay and Sammy like I wanted to kind of get your oh thought. I mean it's just the the evolution of this bloodline angle and this storyline over the last like 12 months has just been getting better and better they keep adding new layers and so essentially what happened this week on raw was i guess the the culmination or i guess the the payoff of sammy striking roman yeah you know in the back with a chair at the royal rumble mm-hmm. and kind of like jay walking off and they've been kind of playing on that week on week on raw and smackdown and finally this week we got an answer to what his decision is or his mindset was but the way they played it out was fantastic Cody comes out yeah, and, Co- last two minutes, and then Cody had already been put over by John Cena in Boston right yeah, yeah, so yeah. Cody's been getting the perfect platform not only is he doing the right thing with every moment that he's had mm-hmm. promo work and everything going face to face with Roman last week on Smackdown but like the machine and all the other players that they can rely on like a John Cena helping prop him up and then obviously Sammy and the bloodline being such a big storyline Cody coming out to his aid to help protect him yeah, is yeah. perfect and I guess what we've got now leading into Wrestlemania is a situation where it looks like it's going to be Cody bringing Sammy and Kevin Owens together yeah, being the yeah. glue that bring that friendship together yeah, yeah. on the one side and the three of them are going to try and take down the bloodline at Wrestlemania yeah, in yeah. two different matches so it's just it's chef's kiss it yeah, really is I'm loving it it's pretty slick I think that's gonna be like an exciting like next season of like it just feels like because these are like seasons right and like this is it this is a new season and this is what I've been saying I feel like they're not gonna outstay their welcome I don't think under the Triple H era they're gonna just if this is like say for example events he's like yo we gotta keep like, making sure this John Cena runs for like seven eight years let's keep his angle going or whatever it is I feel and again I, I might be wrong but here's my gut that tells me this I feel like if the bloodline angle and this story you know implodes and ends at wrestlemania brilliant Mm -hmm. because now we have a fresh new story they can figure out a way to take it in new directions and one of the things i'm so like happy about i was just thinking about this um when i was watching raw this week i was thinking back to the last 12 months and what they've done with this angle with the bloodline sammy ko everyone every single participant has been elevated to new heights Mm -hmm. There's so many kind of top guys. Some of these, some of these guys that are doing main events on Raw and SmackDown. The reaction that they're getting from crowds, you know, Sammy getting a main event on a, on a PLE and mm. and all this kind of stuff. It's it's a beautiful thing to kind of like watch from afar, where you don't have to rely on that one top guy yeah. to constantly be ending every single show. You can now rely on multiple acts, uh, whether it's a tag team or whether it's singles wrestlers. It's it's a it's a really good time with what they've done here. Yeah, it really feels like they've 
gone away from the idea of like obviously Sammy being like a champion or like winning the title at the end of this, but it feels more like a payoff I want more now after seeing all of this is when Jay finally gets his like redemptive moment. Right. Because that's really what it feels like. They're like, all right, you know what? You're not going to get the Sammy stuff. That's cool. And you're going to get the Cody stuff. But out of this thing, the real payoff after like years and years of build is Jay finally getting his moment. I think if he were to have turned on uh turn on Roman now and then went with Sammy, it would have been him giving Sammy back like that that moment, mm. right? Passing the baton back. But now it's like no no the, the baton's on him now. Yeah. He's gotta be the one that like completes the story. You know what's crazy is like when the Usas were attacked him, I swear I couldn't tell them apart. <laughs> I, like even when they tried to do the whole one side of your uh, you know your face is painted on the left side yeah. and then the other guy is painted on the right side. They try to do all these things, right? And for me uh, it did it's kind of blurred between who they are yeah what i think the, that was like an old school like vince like tag teamism you know what i mean sure. like, he always thought like look at the killer bees like it's like yeah. stuff they, they just have right? yeah like it's a wrestling thing but it, it was, it's always been quite rare to yeah. do that with twins mm-hmm. identical twins sure right and so what they've done now is like i know exactly who jay is i know exactly who jimmy is yeah, they have identities now they yeah. have identities they have like personalities they have history yeah. like i know their mannerisms yeah, much yeah, much yeah. better yeah obviously they've got a different look as well which obviously helps mm-hmm. but man this is like trying like to separate them and almost I don't think it is even a physical thing anymore it's just they, they're so different like if I'm being honest like Jimmy is still cool like at the end of the day obviously he's not elevated to the level of everybody else in this yeah. faction right but that's not gonna happen for everybody sure but what you can see from Jay really stands apart man that guy has really separated himself even among the group right like he has his own separate identity and I hope by the end of this like that's where they go because he feels like he could be, have a run by himself absolutely and the thing is even physically like i've seen some like comparisons of what him and jimmy look like now but also what jay used to look like yeah. 12 months ago he's been putting time in the gym mm-hmm. like he's in great physical condition mm-hmm. he's in shape like it's almost like what he said to himself is i'm gonna put myself in a position where you can't deny me a singles run yeah. at some point I, I, and to be honest like at the end of the day like obviously roman is gonna at some point like you know try movies and do all and not be like as available as right. he currently is yeah and even now he's like you know not available like crazy but i feel like a guy like jimmy or jay could basically carry on the baton of this storyline and the heat that you get from like whatever this is which works because they've, like they've got the the oozes and they've got solo yeah right and then you can always bring somebody else back into the fold like a naomi for example right yeah yeah yeah, sure and like there's always like it, it, the cool thing is because it's bloodline you can always add and remove characters and mm. there's always like there is no shortage of incredible samoan wrestlers yeah. in wrestling you know right. what i mean like, yeah, there's yeah, a ton yeah. of those guys if mm-hmm. they wanted to bring in like Tamatanga from like New Japan, like right. boom, just incorporate. So he's a cousin, whatever. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But there's so many different things you can do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's get. I, I think that was a fun way to just kind of start the show. Yeah, we'll about absolutely. We don't get to catch up about it all the time, but we talk about wrestling every once in a while. Let's get into the news that we usually talk about for movie and TV. First thing I want to talk about is like an interesting little story that we've been kind of following along the way, and it's just like this Michael Jackson biopic. Mm-hmm. First thing is that it's set to spend 120 million dollars just for cast wages vendors apparently it's the biggest budget movie in california history which is insane and uh because of filming and production of like obviously in california that makes it really expensive but it's also paying like 121 million dollars in taxes wow they must be going all in on this biopic yeah and i don't blame them it's a michael jackson biopic Mm -hmm. uh you only get you know usually one chance to do it and you better do it right yeah and if it's gonna cost some money it's gonna cost some money michael jackson is one of those generational acts that 
will bring in people, you know, to the cinemas of all ages, right? And people are going to identify with a different era, whether it be the Jackson's Five, you know, Jackson in the 80s or the 90s or whatever the case may be, or again, seeing what they actually delve into in personal life. Like, some people might just have like an idea of like Michael Jackson as being this controversial figure. Yeah. You know I mean? It's been like a long enough time where the stuff that he offered through his talent was like from like the 80s and the 90s, like you mentioned, but like, I'm sure there's kids who grew up in like 2002 who are like, who's like Michael Jackson? I was about to you say, Google him. It's so different. There's probably now easily a generation of of kids who are now teenagers who didn't you know have to wait to see the Michael Jackson music video premiere on MTV at 9 p.m. on a Sunday night mm-hmm. because and, and it's a worldwide premiere and stuff like that, man. Like it was an event. Every time Michael Jackson dropped a single, an album, a music video, it was a global event and. I was able to witness a lot of that, not everything, because I was obviously only born in 1983 and he was already kind of doing so many crazy things at that point. But again, like I said, there's going to be a generational kind of like experience and everyone's going to have a different takeaway from watching that. Yeah, because I I just remember growing up and like people having like this incredible reverence for Michael Jackson as a talent, right? And then it later started to change. And I feel like different generations are just going to take it differently. And that's what's going to be like the kind of the thing that is going to surround the movie. Like, right. At the end of the day, like that'll probably be the conversation going into it. Yeah. But uh, I'm just curious to see like if they're going all in like this, it, at the very least, they believe they have something here. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very interested in that. Uh, next, let's get into some like MCU stuff. First okay. thing, just exciting wise, or maybe not, but uh, Keanu Reeves says he always wanted to play Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I just want to see, how do you feel about the idea of them casting a guy like Keanu now for the Wolverine going forward? Too old. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I saw this on his, like, AMA on Reddit, but, mm-hmm. like, just never felt like... That doesn't seem like the right move now. I mean, I don't know the context of the quote and the interview. But that was if, it. That was it. But if, I'm, I'm just imagining if someone said, hey, dream, you know, character that you would love to play it. Yeah, you know, who wouldn't want to play Wolverine, mm-hmm. right? But, yeah, they should have cast him That's 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and it's funny to think, like, of what kind of challenges are going to come with, like, you know, casting that Wolverine. Because even a guy like Keanu, who's, like, so universally loved... Yeah isn't going to be like somebody everyone's going to want. And if you look at how they're kind of like casting and the direction they're going in, in terms of like Young Avengers, and again, they haven't really done the full recast of a character just yet, but also they've already brought in the Wolverine that we know in terms of Hugh Jackman. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like who is going to be their Wolverine for the next 20, maybe 25 years, like who knows? That's exactly how long Jackman's done it for now. Yeah. So... They're going to have to get someone in maybe in their 20s, early 30s. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time to pick somebody who has the ability to like grow with the character. And maybe it's an unknown. Hugh Jackman was yeah. basically an unknown, right? So you and had no idea who, of who that person was. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be like a relative unknown at the very least. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think that's like a, that's a big opportunity for them. That's why like when it, they cast somebody like Steven Yeun, what was it, for the Thunderbolts? Like yeah. that is an exciting proposition for me because that you can tell that guy's getting better and better. Yeah. And it's only a matter of time. It's crazy, man. Like the, the Wolverine role is reminds me of like someone playing Batman or Superman or playing James Bond. It's yeah. like an iconic character mm-hmm. that will literally make your entire career. Yeah. If you do it right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's not even a situation of like maybe. Like this is a commitment that Marvel's making. So mm-hmm. it's you're going to be playing that for a long time and you better get good at it. Yeah. Regardless. And you know that they're going to make sure that the story the plot the movie is like the director involved to make that movie whether it be an X-Men ensemble or just a Wolverine movie they're going to make sure it's dealt with careful gloves and hands and things of that nature yeah especially a character that's already so over like why wouldn't you want to keep that character this over next Mark Ruffalo he says that Marvel should be sweating after losing James Gunn to DC 
he was talking about this on like a panel at mm-hmm. uh, one of these comic cons mm-hmm. but it's just interesting it's obviously like we've been talking about this just in general like this perceptual shift from like what's been really exciting for dc and yeah. also what's been kind of dragging for marvel like they've been kind of having like ups and downs on like, the past couple of months or past couple of like the last year or so at least mm. and it's just interesting that it's starting to become like actual conversation yeah i think that's really interesting because yeah that, that means that there's a perceptual shift happening too yeah perhaps but at the end of the day the proof's in the pudding mm-hmm. right and i'm still gonna go into the dcu with a little apprehension yeah right because they have a lot of hard work to do and there's still some messy parts to the machine some characters we're gonna stick we're gonna we're gonna keep well how are you gonna explain that like am i like half one foot in and one foot out mm-hmm. like what are we doing here the whole Ezra Miller story for example yeah. right <laughs> I'm not interested in watching Shazam mm-hmm. right but what, what if they say oh we're gonna keep Shazam around I'm like well I don't know how I feel about that yeah it's weird though right because there are like that, that same sentiment can be said to so many DC characters yeah right and I'm uh, oh, sorry with uh, so many Marvel characters as well where we are being like given a lot of like other properties that were like She-Hulk like I feel like I can miss She-Hulk. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, there are certain characters that you don't feel like you necessarily have to watch. And then maybe Shazam, something like that. But the big difference here is that everyone is so already invested in the MCU for the most part. Whereas with DCU and with James Gunn, it's like, well, we hope they get it right. Mm -hmm. Because it's been pretty trash for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's just what it's always been. Like, you know how, like, there's just different generations of comic book movies? That's what it feels like now, right? We're going from, like, back in the day with Tim Burton and all this kind of stuff and there's just always been waves and it feels like DC rode this incredible wave in like 2008 with The Dark Knight and all this kind of stuff Yeah, but it was almost like it was really hard to live up to those expectations mm. and then now they kind of like felt the humbleness of that and I hope they come out of that with like alright cool let's just try something cool but also that's when it was just standalone Batman movies yeah. right? which is still something they're doing right now with uh, the current Robert Batson and Batman, it still feels like it works right? which does definitely works mm-hmm. it says what James Gunn doing right now is an entire universe mm-hmm. as a whole different ball game yeah. it's, it's one thing to say you know what I'm going to make the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy yeah. right? I'm going to focus on these characters I have a roadmap of what I want to do with him, with my three movies and that's it. Now he's going to be in charge of an entire universe and he has to select the filmmakers that are going to hopefully carry out the vision that the overall vision that he's kind of got but also let them express themselves as well. So it's a as a GM, right? You got to like put some like faith and trust in other people that's going to be on your team mm-hmm. and you have to figure out if they're the right people and ultimately if the, the the movies and TV shows are good. I agree with this, but at the same time, it always felt like this was what James Gunn was being like groomed to do for Marvel. Like it always felt like there was this cosmic universe, like this, like, I don't know, like in the multiverse of like MCU, like there was like a cosmic part of this mm. that was going to purely be like, all right, James Gunn, deal with that. Yeah. Right. That's where it felt like they were kind of leading towards. Like, yeah. And, and it always felt like that up until that relationship kind of soured yeah but i feel like he because he was being groomed in that way he kind of knows like this is like something he's been working towards for so long and now he just got to make the pivots and as long as he does that correctly i feel like this is like a it's probably like a good thing obviously it's a great thing for dc yeah 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 but it feels like this is like a fun thing for just fans in general yeah hopefully he does it um and hopefully does a good job with everything and like you said you know he's been on the inside of what it takes to make the mcu really really successful Mm -hmm. but also he's been on the inside and knows stuff that mcu has done that fans aren't really too happy about mm-hmm. so hopefully as we kind of go into this area and I, I, I think we're getting the first movie in 2025 yeah it's uh, still a long ways away so we're yeah. gonna obviously have so much more to talk about and so much news to discuss over yeah. the next sort of like 18 months yeah. but it's still exciting times for it DCU. Is, absolutely uh but yeah let's get into 
uh, next section of the show, which is our Oscar predictions for this year, 2023. And the critics' choice for best picture is... Everything, everywhere, all at once. I think I could easily say one of the best years in film like that I've ever experienced personally. I could say that much at least. Yeah. And I had so much fun watching movies this year. And I just felt like we had such an incredible offering of movies that came out in the past year especially like we got lucky because we got to watch uh, a lot of movies through like film festivals and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that like tiff obviously that gave us the opportunity to watch a lot of movies in a short amount of time yep and some of the best movies that we're gonna see all year yeah but it was uh, great and, and it like, kind of like launched us into like for the rest of the season just watching a bunch of great movies whatever we missed whatever we did like and it was it was barely it was really like a like a strong collection of movies this year it really was and we got yeah. so lucky like you said at tiff the Toronto International Film Festival, just to be able to like literally watch what a dozen or so movies in the span of like seven or eight days, yeah. which a lot of other people couldn't watch until Christmas or you know much later in the year. Mm-hmm. We got lucky, we got blessed, and also it really helps when it's time for the Oscars yeah. to be able to say, you know what, we've basically seen everything, mm-hmm. and we're able to kind of give our educated guess in terms of what we think will who will win or who we want to win and mm-hmm. things of that nature still a hypothesis we yeah don't know, of course but yeah I, th- I think we got like a few ideas of of who we think either will win or should win mm-hmm. is for me is like the more important conversation because sure. how often do you walk away from the oscars being like you know what that shouldn't have won right but and it's fun them. because everyone you know everyone that tunes into the oscars mm-hmm. for the most part are film fans mm-hmm. and they've got their guy their gal their yeah. movie right that they're rooting for yeah exactly this is it's, it's fun yeah exactly and it always feels like the end of last season you know what i mean like right. this is our like reunion special yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, can, we can watch everybody get together and see who like won yeah for this year we got an actor in a leading role all the nominees were austin butler uh, as elvis colin farrell and banshees brendan frazier in the whale paul mescal in uh after sun and bill nye in living uh, I feel like we're kind of on the same page for this one. And I have to imagine, right? Because mm-hmm. for me, I, I'm walking in thinking Austin Butler is like the favorite. Right. And I feel like he's probably going to walk out with it. Yeah. For me, it's Austin Butler. I felt that way the minute the movie ended. I actually got to watch it in Las Vegas, which is actually per- kind of perfect. And um, just looking at the history of the Academy Awards, they love a biopic. They love a well-made biopic. Mm-hmm. This is a very well-made biopic. It's one of my favorite films of 2022. And looking at the list of who he's up against, I think he will win, and I want him to win. Yeah, me too. Me too. It feels like... Like you don't walk out with a biopic like feeling that strongly about how like how much more like how much you enjoyed that performance right, right. like that is like the hope and that's what we got from this movie and he's a relative unknown right yeah, yeah. and this film almost made him and he's already started to pick up some awards yeah so if he wins best actor he's a made guy and he's gonna jump into that pool of young actors that we've been talking about for the mm-hmm. last year or change Absolutely. that can literally go on a nice run for the next 15 20 30 years maybe and a guy who already has like really strong established relationships with like really great directors mm-hmm. he's already worked with qt he's already worked with boz lerman who knows who else he can work with and yeah like the other high level projects he's gonna come out with in the Absolutely. Rest of his career so i feel like this is like a cool launching pad for a guy like this yeah uh and also like you know with a young actor who gets to get their oscar early mm-hmm I, I, obviously there are always going to be like expectations that the student's going to have to like keep making high level movies going forward and, and every, every time he makes like a, a either like a bomb or like you know something where he sells out or something like that people are going to look at him a little bit differently this mm. is an Oscar winner yeah, yeah, he yeah. like, has a certain expectation on Mel but it's always interesting to see either if that puts you on a trajectory where you're just making great movies yep. or if like say somebody like Leo who was 
denied that so many times, but he kept trying for it, and he, but he kept making high-level movies along the way. Mm. So it's really interesting to see how this affects his career going mm-hmm. forward. Absolutely. Uh, next, we got uh, actress in a leading role. The nominees were Kate Blanchett in Tar, Anna de Armas in Blonde, Andrea Riseborough to Leslie, Michelle Williams in The Fablemans, Michelle Yeoh in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Or who are you hoping for? Who, you, who do you think is going to win? I think Michelle Yao will win. Mm-hmm. I want Michelle Yao to win. And I actually think this has got all the ingredients to produce the moment of the night. Mm. If you look at some of the other awards that she's already kind of picked up, it's it's literally been a moment, mm. you know. And for an Asian American woman at her you know, at her age to get a role like this, the film to be almost like a Cinderella story in its own self in terms of how it performed the box office, gradually the word of mouth. You know, we've kind of both said it's our favorite film of 2022. Yeah. We, you know, we want everyone like- <laughs> involved to to get their flowers and to pick up awards uh, and, and, and like hopefully get a, a second, third, fourth, whatever run it's been yeah. at the cinemas so that people can go out of their way to watch it. Mm-hmm. But man, I would be over the moon if Michelle Yao won this one. I completely agree. It would be a fantastic moment. A part of me does hope that she wins but like a part of me is also wouldn't be mad if like Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. in Tar won because right. I really do think her performance was phenomenal just incredible yep right and like there's no way I could be upset that like Michelle Yaga denied the Oscar beca- because if it was somebody like Kate Blanchett like yeah that's the only two that I'm okay with at the end of the day right but it is a, such a strong category we talked about it like leading up to this uh in t- like for this past season essentially like how yeah. how many strong performances there were in this category mm-hmm. and uh it, it's crazy to think that there were so many performances but there are such strong front runners regardless yeah. right yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a really strong comment as far as directing we had the nominees of the banshees of insurin by martin mcdonough everything everywhere all at once by daniel kwan and daniel scheinhart uh the fablemans by steven spielberg tar todd fields triangle of sadness by ruben oslin who i mean i feel like we're probably on the same page. i feel like we're gonna be on the same page for the next two categories yeah but it's <laughs> What do you think? Look, I want the Dans to win. Mm-hmm. I want the Dans to win. I really, really do. I don't think they will. Mm-hmm. I don't think they will. I feel like in this category, it's a little bit tough, if I'm being honest with you, because Steven Spielberg has made the love letter to cinema. It's his personal story. Mm-hmm. So I think he's got a good shot here. Sure. And then when you look at The Banshees of Insurin, a film, by the way, that I did enjoy, Martin McDonough, this film has actually picked up a lot of awards right not just on the acting categories but best picture and best director he's actually on a bit of a run during award season himself as it's well it's interesting because it feels like a lot of these movies are, yeah. are, have been winning like a lot of different awards so right. i have no idea where they're gonna end up going. this is tough i'm yeah. not gonna lie like these next two categories are actually way harder for me to like predict in terms Difficult. of who i think will win versus who i want to win mm-hmm. i'm gonna go out and say look i want the dance to win for everything everywhere all at once because how can i not back the filmmakers behind my favorite movie of last year. That doesn't make sense if I don't back them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that I think Martin McDonough's going to win. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. I think for me, I want the Daniels to win. Yeah. I do have a feeling I, for me, it's, it's, a, it's like same kind of sentiment, but it's for Steven Spielberg. Spielberg yeah. It feels like Spielberg is like picking up all these W's along the way. Mm-hmm. It feels like he probably will win that. But like, the problem is that usually when a movie wins for directing, that's the one that wins for best picture. It's true. And I don't want that to be the case, especially like unless you're going to give it to the Dan's like, dude, this next category that we're going to talk about essentially and we bleeds into this conversation. It's just best picture. Mm. And uh, the nominees were All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, 
The Banshees of Inchirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. I, I still feel like the same kind of sentiment. It mm. goes exactly into this. I think Everything Everywhere All at Once should win. Mm. And I think desperately want it to win. <laughs> like yeah, so yeah. badly. Man, look at that list, first of all. Yeah. What an incredible list of movies. It's like, wow. Like if, if someone wants to go out of their way and just like close the curtains and spend a few days on their couch watching movies, mm. like what an incredible run of films. So different. What a palette cleanser each one is to the next one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the same thing that you just said. I really, really want Everything Everywhere All At Once to win. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Everything Everywhere All At Once and All Quiet on the Western Front are the two movies that have picked up the most nominations at I the Oscars. So, yeah. yeah? All, All Quiet on the Western Front is a fantastic movie. It really is. And this kind of bleeds into how I feel about director and picture. And I feel like, pff, man, this this is so, so tough. Like I said, I want every, Everything Everywhere All At Once to win. I think... Banshees of Inchirin will win. Oh my! If that happens, like I, I'm gonna be upset. You're gonna have a meltdown because you don't I, like the I'm movie. Be upset. Uh, yeah, I yeah. genuinely. My my thing is like I get like I'm not the person for that movie, but like it's just a, such a good year for movies. Yeah, anything could win, but that movie, I'll be like decently happy if I'm being honest. Like even as ridiculous as it sounds in my head, mm. like even if Top Gun Maverick won, mm. I'd be less upset than if Banshees won. Right. Because at least Top Gun, I get. You know what I mean? Like I get that experience. Sure. I just don't like. I, I think that's what's interesting about it, but. I still think the front runner in my head ideally is everything, but mm-hmm. it's obviously still an actual underdog in real life. Yep. But I still think if the, if there was like a favorite going in, I still feel like Spielberg Fablemans. has like a lot of uh, cachet in these categories. And I feel like he's going to end up like, I, I could just imagine like people who vote on these categories. Like I can imagine they probably relate a lot to the idea of like Spielberg's movie. And like, I can imagine that playing into how you would vote. You know it'll, I mean? be, it'll be interesting because I don't think Spielberg's picked up I could be wrong here and the Fablesman has picked up director and picture like awards during I, award season I, I, you know what it's just like in our feed I just see a lot of these different movies kind of picking up different awards yeah. so it's hard to like make a clear distinction of like what's really winning the one that keeps coming up that I've seen pick up awards is Banshees mm. I haven't seen Fablemans win but then that's the whole thing about the Academy it's mostly a North American dominated list of voters. Yeah. I, I genuinely think like it would be, I feel like it would probably be the Fablemans to lose. Like it feels like that. that mm-hmm. That's what it really feels like. It feels like just based on even like the idea of like, all right, cool. It's North American movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just Spielberg at the end of the day. Like how often does he, like, even if you think about it in the sense of last year, the favorite was West Side Story. Yeah. And he didn't win for West Side Story. Right. And this year he's got again a similar favorite with Fablemans and if he doesn't get get it done again like I can just imagine where people are like ah oh, he didn't get it last year maybe this is this year mm. kind of thing. I don't know like but that kind of stuff does happen a lot yeah. where if Jeff Bridges doesn't get his award for so long but then eventually gets it for like Crazy Heart right. when that might not be his strongest performance yeah. same thing with Leo with The Revenant it might not be his strongest performance but a lot of the times he gets it for whatever X reason mm-hmm. like there's all these, there's so many factors that kind of go into his voting by the way if uh Everything Everywhere All At Once wins. That would be such a massive achievement for A24. Hell yeah. Could you imagine them on stage? I, I think that's why I love it as well. It's yeah. just, it's, it's an achievement for a new studio. It's an achievement for so many actors that haven't really got that opportunity. Yep. Stories that haven't got that opportunity. Even the idea of like showing that like there is this way to do sci-fi in these incredible ways and be rewarded for it. And be it's completely original. Completely original in so many different ways. Be yep. able to like offer in this way. It would 
I think it just says a lot about like the hope of where movies can go. Yeah. Because if you keep giving movies like let's say if, let's say Fableman does win. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's still like crediting like the old guard. You know what I mean? Like I think this is a cool time to give a moment to new guys who can really move this thing forward. Yeah. You know? Listen, I totally agree. And this came up last year when we were doing our Oscars preview show. It's like that is going to take an entire generation. Yeah. Like the people that make up the Academy are still mostly old Hollywood, yeah, right? And when you have new Hollywood coming in and becoming members of the Academy, it's going to take 10, 15, 20 years for them to be enough of them. Yeah. It's like politics, man. Yeah. It's like... It is, it is. Like, you know, when you have... Uh, it's pro wrestling too. It, it's pro wrestling too, <laughs> you yeah. sell yourself, you know? Yeah. It, it's a lot of uh, just how over are you in the moment? Yeah. Like, w- how over were you when these nominees... Or- when people were submitting these votes for nominations. Right. You know what I mean? Like, how much were people caring at that time? You know what I would love to see? I don't know if the Oscars has even thought about doing this. I would love to see some sort of, like, pie chart or percentage bar charts um, after the fact. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if if a movie like Everything Everywhere All At Once wins, did it get, like, 80% of the votes? Did it get, like, I don't know, 33%? And, like, did something like that? Just to kind mm-hmm. of give you an idea of how the Academy was split when it comes to voting yeah. you don't have to give away who voted for who but just kind of giving that kind of like just to contextualize you know who won and the how Oscars much why are always so transparent yeah like this is all like i'm sure that's what they'd love to do is offer more information behind this stuff mm-hmm. but uh i never i've never seen that and i can't imagine they'd want to do it just to like keep like this they probably love the controversy like then they like half the discussion after the fact is it's like true. i can't believe they didn't give this movie this thing yeah but i think I think a lot of times uh, that kind of plays into it, right? Mm. Like that's kind of the fun of the conversation afterwards as well. And let's just see what happens. And I think we're hoping for the best. All my, all my eggs are in this everything everywhere all at once basket. And it's not just if something else wins, I need this thing to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I'm actually excited because I do want to kind of watch it one more time mm. before we get to the Oscars. Like I just want to, like if, if that moment does happen, it'd be cool to watch it and then do that as well. Well, you've only got a matter of days to yeah, do that. Exactly. <laughs> I got a few more days. I think I'm going to do it. But uh, yeah, let's get into our movie of the week, Creed 3. Adonis Creed. You don't remember me, huh? What happened with you two? We was like brothers. I got one for this business. Gotta be talking about Dane. This how we gonna handle it now. You and me. Run it. Run it! Let go of whatever was and walk into what is. Uh, yeah, gentlemen, so we're talking about Creed 3 this week. The cool thing, I think we haven't... Have we done, like, a fight movie before? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think we have, right? No. And I think this is, like, a fun time to, like, have that conversation because... Sure. One thing I wanted to ask you... And I feel like it kind of, I feel like it kind of uh, establishes like where we're going to go with this is what makes a good fight movie? I guess what what makes good fight promotion, you know, for an event that you want to tune into on, on, on a Saturday night, yeah. it's good storytelling, it's good promotion. It's, you know, two fighters or two characters that are, have a rivalry, have a grudge. There's something there. There's the, there's a compelling story that, you know, makes you want to tune in and root for one, maybe not root for the other, or yeah. you have your guy. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leans into everything that I love about A, the Rocky movies and the Creed movies. Yeah. Man, like growing up watching the Rocky movies, hands down, best sports movie mm-hmm. franchise yeah. ever, period, both critically and commercially. Yeah. Right. There's been other great sports movies, other great boxing movies, other great, you know, sports movies, whether it be racing and, you know, other like rugby, soccer. There's been other great movies and other sports. But when I think about quintessential, what is the quintessential 
sports movie i always go back to rocky the mm. first movie one one an oscar for yeah. stallone and everything and and what it's done for his career what it's done for the franchise and the fact that it's been able to pivot and breathe new life into the universe by bringing in the character of adonis creed bringing in michael b jordan and here we are the third movie of this franchise mm. where he's reprising his role as Adonis Creed but also making his directorial debut it's it's a fascinating story in itself yeah yeah I, I actually agree a lot like I think a great fight movie definitely I think you have to do a lot of you like there's a lot of things that have to be checked yeah right like the idea of focus I think it's pretty obvious across the board when you do watch fight movies the best fight movies don't really care about how realistic the fights are. Mm-hmm. They really just care about getting that story over, right? And making sure that people understand like the dynamics of those characters and what we're really trying to get across beyond who actually like who wins this fight matters, like in the in the sense of like the story matters. Yep. But it doesn't matter in the sense of like the physical violence. They're trying to tell this situation that's going on in between the punches. Yep. Right? And there's so much that goes into that like when you do think of a great fight movie, you do think of, well, what's the best montage? Well, like, training montage. What's the best fight choreography? What's the best... What, what's the best way to get, like, hype? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a big part of it as well. It's yeah. just, how hype can this movie make you? Because that's what Rocky does for everybody, I think. is it, People watch Rocky, go train at the gym. There are millions of examples, I'm sure, that that has happened. Over and over and over. And it's generational, and it doesn't matter how old Rocky gets, people are going to be watching this movie for a very long time for that one purpose alone. 100%. Look at the look at the, the synopsis plots of the Rocky movies, right? Rocky 1, the quintessential underdog story. Yeah. Like, he doesn't win the fight in the end of the movie, but you're still left, like, you know, wanting more and still rooting for him. Yeah. Rocky 2, he finally comes good. He finally becomes world champion, beats the guy. Rocky 3, he loses his trainer, right? He gets too big for his boots that he gets kind of uh, taken back with the money and the fame. And that's happened in real life too, right? Yep. Loses, has to kind of like almost find the quote-unquote eye of the tiger. Rocky 4, it's US versus Russia. Yeah. And also it's a revenge movie. Yeah, yeah. But there's like... There's always a great hook into why the fight matters, and that's yeah. what makes these movies great. And like I said, they've taken that into these into these Creed movies. They've used a few of the old tricks that worked for the Rocky franchise, but also done some new things here as well. Yeah, it feels like this time they really really updated the software yes. for this franchise. Like it felt like, all right, cool. Like we understand that we've done a lot with these Rocky movies, but maybe we've stretched that as far as we can go. Let's try a few other things. Yeah. Like, Let's change the way these movies are shot. Let's change the way these movies look entirely. Yeah. Right? And that's really what I felt like they were trying to do is is take on like the spirit and understand what made those movies work, but let's make it look different and mm-hmm. feel fresh. Yeah. And I think this was like a nice fresh coat of paint for that. Yeah. But yeah, let's get into like kind of talking about like what you enjoyed or what you thought about this movie in general. Yeah, look, I mean, I was a big fan of Creed. I think we both are massive fans of Ryan Coogler. He did such a great job of making a spiritual sequel spin-off mm-hmm. and bringing you know Stallone back into the fold and introducing Michael B. Jordan as Apollo Creed's yeah. son. Just just great. Fantastic movie. In fact, I remember when I watched it, I'm like, that's up there with my favorite Rocky movies. Mm-hmm. Straight away. Yeah. Creed 2 comes out. I was really looking forward to it because it was going to go into the Rocky Four world, mm-hmm. bringing back Ivan Drago, his son, and kind of play on that. And I was really disappointed. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. I, I, it just did not deliver for me. And I actually rewatched it earlier in the week before watching Creed 3, just yeah. kind of like remember how I felt. And I'm like, man, I just 
didn't really enjoy it. It left me with such a sour taste in my mouth. I felt like everything across the board is poor. Performances, directing, plot, story, just casting, just music. It was just really, really bad, right? You know what's uh, great is that I, I was thinking about watching that movie. <laughs> like, you didn't? And, and I didn't even watch it. I just Thank watched. God. I just watched one of those uh, recap videos. Yep. And thank God I did because <laughs> I walked in with like tremendously excited energy okay. for this movie, right? Good. And I think that helped my experience much better than like being like, oh, I went through this Creed 2 movie and it was so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm actually really happy about that. Yeah. And like, and even though I didn't enjoy Creed 2, uh, Creed 2 I still, it, it didn't like dampen my like enthusiasm to watch another Creed movie. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I feel like Creed 3 not only is miles better than Creed 2, yeah. right? I'm not going to go as far as to say it's as good as Creed 1, right? Because I feel like Michael B. Jordan, who does a really good job, in my opinion, you know, making his directorial debut, mm-hmm. there's a massive difference between, so far anyway, in terms of what he brings to the table as a director compared to what a Ryan Coogler can do, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Even though Ryan Coogler and I think his brother, Keenan Coogler, mm-hmm. were involved in the story and the script and the plot, it is down to Michael B. Jordan to make directorial decisions. Yeah. But that's not to say that there is an incredible amount of stuff in this movie that I really, really enjoyed. And... It's the first movie of the entire Rocky Creed franchise. It doesn't include Stallone. Yeah. I've got some thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Like, uh-huh. I, I really thought it was, first off, such a great looking movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I get that it's Michael B. Jordan's first time, but you can tell he's reached out and he's found the right people to make his movie look fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I feel like a lot of his cinematography choices were fantastic. Even like when you think of the choices that he made in his first opening scene. Right, this is the first opening scene of his career, right? And he gets to like choose really do- like I think uh, soundtrack choices were fantastic. Where he chose a lot of like West Coast classics of that era that are. It's not like he made like out there choices that you might not know, but like maybe someone would know like on a low key. He made like we're choosing the Watcher from the Chronic Two Thousand One and like big hits like Lay Low around that era and like he did like this is what people were actually listening to at that time yep right and it made these moments feel like it captured a great moment in time but visually it looked a lot like uh like something you might see in like atlanta right and obviously there's a shot in atlanta but like in the show atlanta you get like a lot of like very cool looking visuals like mm-hmm. even the driving scene just in the beginning i thought they that that set off a great tone yeah that this is going to be different just right off the top it's yep. going to look different it's going to feel different this is just an updated like I said before, like an updated software to this like thing that we're already used to. We're already on the same page. Yeah. And then one thing I really think that this movie gets across uh, really, really well, I think I, I give a lot of credit to Michael B. Jordan. And uh, he, this is also like, this is the first sports movie that was ever shot in IMAX, which is like very cool in the first place mm-hmm. for his, it just as an undertaking goes. Like first time you're directing and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's do IMAX too. Sure. Right. Sure. Let's just throw it on there too. And it's like, that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. But uh, did you watch it in IMAX? I did. I did watch it in IMAX. Okay, nice. And like, uh, it ended up being like like those scenes are pretty cool like I don't think it necessarily requires IMAX if right. I'm being honest like yeah. I feel like the scenes felt big yeah uh, but like you could tell like a little bit of like the uh, CGI-ness of it all like I, I definitely when it's blown that. up a little bit yeah, bigger yeah I, yeah I definitely do feel like that but what this movie really understands is like the pageantry of combat sports yeah right and I think that's what they got across really well whether it was like the entrances for like uh, I forget the original heavyweight champion was like that, that whole entrance playing homage like the the Day of the Dead and all that kind of stuff yeah. that looked awesome yeah and even like Michael B Jordan's entrance and Jonathan Majors entrances like I thought they got that stuff down pat it looked great if some promotion just steals all that stuff 
They're going to do really, really well. One great thing that Michael B. Jordan did is literally incorporate how the boxing world, in particular broadcasters and promotions, actually put on fights mm-hmm. in 2023. Yeah. Like they obviously had a deal done with the zone. Yeah. You saw the zone branding everywhere. Like even the people. I even saw a ringle that I used to work with in a kind of social media capacity at the Professional Fighters that's League so cool. in the ring. I'm like, oh, that's Shay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they got the right people from the Stitch. Duran is in there. Mm-hmm. Who's been in a lot Jonathan of these movies. Grisham was like, yeah. oh, I, I remember seeing him in like like the early 2000s in WWE. Right. So seeing him randomly in a Creed movie was like, wait, where did he come from? Yeah, because he's been like a, a, a boxing commentator yeah, for yeah, a while course, now, course. right? So like, that's what I'm saying. He, they really leaned into what the the boxing community and the fight community is already used to to help bring that realism into the story that they're telling big time and on, on the other side of this whole thing as much as like these rocky movies are about being the underdog mm-hmm. i think uh, a lot of what you can say is like they're equally about overcoming loss yeah right and i think that's what this movie gets across really really well as well and there's that's where like the weight and the groundedness of the movie really comes in because there's a lot of heavy topics that are being discussed and there's a lot of just big momentous changes that are happening to the characters and it's cool to see them kind of explore these things yeah and we'll talk about it in like all the performances and stuff like that but even just talking about tessa thompson like i feel like that was her like role in this movie to be like almost like the emotional weight of the movie and be mm. somebody that adonis creed could like talk to and you you could kind of explore his thoughts a lot better and i think the fact that they did it through a career or uh through a relationship mm-hmm. i thought that was like number one a cool thing to see on screen to see like a such a functional relationship but number two is just to see how they were able to like talk things through in a very honest way mm-hmm. i thought they they got those that but that part of the relationship they got down really pat yeah i agree um jonathan majors let's talk about him yeah yeah because like that kind of <laughs> goes into it because what what i kind of view and I, I even saw like in an interview where they were talking about how like this relationship is like peace, right? Mm. Like they have like this real peaceful dynamic mm. and then Jonathan Major just comes through and just bam, like bashes a hammer in the middle of all of it and make like really interrupts and disrupts their life entirely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's such a cool thing that he's able to do. Yeah. First of all, guys, jacked. Jacked. Oh my goodness. I watched his men's health video on YouTube the other day where he kind of goes through his training routine. routine and I was, I was like, my God, this guy put in some serious work. Mm-hmm. I think this is a much better performance than what we got from his portrayal as Kang in Quantumania. Yeah. Right? And I don't want to diminish his performance in that movie because I actually think that's one of the more stronger points of that movie. But in terms of just Jonathan Major performances, I was like, yo, this is a bad dude right here. Mm. And like, yeah, I really liked his performance as uh, as Damien. I really did. I feel like uh, the first thoughts that kind of came into my mind, like visually, like they use a lot of iconography that is familiar when it comes to like that kind of character it, in like real life when i think of characters like that yeah first off obviously the boxing comparisons can be tyson yeah right and you think of like how he looks with the black and like uh with like a very minimal presentation yep and it was like very cool to see that that was number one but yeah. number two a lot of times he felt like almost like uh old school like 2003 like 50 cent like disruption completely like mm. i'm coming out of nowhere and i'm taking over yeah right and and i felt like he really captured that energy tremendously well. There were moments in those some of those earlier scenes where he kind of comes back into the the fray and kind of rekindles his relationship with Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you felt like this. And again, I don't know. I don't know how the story was going to progress, but I felt like as a member of the audience, 
is this guy about to snap at any moment? Mm-hmm. He had this kind of like energy about and, and what he brought to the table in his performance yeah. where I was just like, yo, he could like literally snap and yeah, go yeah. crazy yeah. and at any second right now. Yeah, he had this innate ten- tenseness about yes, him. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting because when you look at Jonathan Major's career, like it feels like a lot recently in his career, like a lot of what has been like kind of linking a lot of his roles together has been like this idea of time and the mm. concept of time. And you see in this movie, he has a lot of time taken away from him because he goes to prison. But like, uh, it feels almost like uh, in that same way that like, you know how we were talking when we were watching Babylon yep. and I was like, Margot Robbie's career when she did like Wolf of Wall Street, it felt like it, it that was like her introdu- introduction as like a character, but that was like the character's introduction. Like the same way she kind of lived that in real life a little bit. And with Babylon, it was like, look how great of an artist she is. And it felt like it followed her career in a lot of ways as well. Mm. This feels like that similar thing where, art imitates life kind of thing where Jonathan Majors is like, this is what he's doing in real life. He's just coming on the scene and taking over. Mm. Right. And he is just like a complete disruptor this year. Back to back. Number one movies at the box office. Yeah. He, he feels like he's really crushing it this year. And like, I, I, the biggest compliment I can give is that the rub that like Michael B. Jordan got from being like that cool ass character as Killmonger I feel like that's what I got away from like with Jonathan Majors as Dame. And his role and the character is so important because, you know, Michael B. Jordan, like the hero of the movie, quote unquote, mm-hmm. is only as good as the protagonist. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Jonathan Majors really helped produce someone there that you could believe in. You yeah. believe in the relationship. Mm-hmm. I thought all the flashback scenes with the other actors playing them as kids was great. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the stronger points of the movie. For He's me. like this humanized, sympathetic heel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we walk away with like, uh, like he is a bad guy, but at the end of the day, like I get it. Like I totally understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like, I kind of want to talk about Michael B. Jordan's performance, not only as an actor, but as a director as well. Right. Yeah. How do you kind of rate everything with that? Yeah. So, um, I will say this. I thought, like I said, I really enjoyed the movie. I did feel as though the link between act two and act three wasn't as strong. I felt like the minute it got to the point where they were going to fight, it fight, train montage, they're in the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like there could have been, I don't know, 10 or 15 more minutes there, right? With a little bit more development, a bit more time, some some more, kind of, something more happening there with the plot. Mm-hmm. That aside, man, I felt like his strongest scenes that he directed with the fight scenes yeah yeah yeah. oh my god like he's already mentioned in in interviews that he's very inspired by anime yeah and i felt like going to what you said earlier on a fresh you know coat of paint you know new software it's like okay how do you now showcase a boxing fight in 2023 that is believable but also entertaining and also for an audience that perhaps has grown up with anime and things yeah. of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I thought the boxing fights were great. I really enjoyed them because it wasn't same old, same old. Yeah. There were elements of same old, same old, but then all of a sudden, yo, we're getting this slow motion, unique angle. People talking trash. Even just like the going into the fighter's mindset, like the like the 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 fight that they kind of um, show of Adonis Creed, where he can, they kind of like, you know, do a little speed run, him becoming like the undisputed world champion in South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's like, it kind of shoots into his eye and it goes into the opponent's ribs, mm. right? So you're kind of portraying what the fighter is thinking about yeah. doing eventually. Yeah, 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 We haven't seen that before in these I, movies. I it's great. Agree. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like the fight scenes worked tremendously on me. Like, I really love them. I think the the boxing scene, the actual boxing scene before they go into like the anime stuff 
was just incredible. Yeah. Right? Like, some top-tier stuff. And, like, even, like, the person beside me that I was watching with, huge anime fan, much more than I am. And right. you could see how much it was translating with them, not only on a visual level, but just understanding the references that were being made. They're like, that's Goku and Frieza. When he gets punched in the ribs and the sweat's coming off and that same face he's making, that's Frieza. And I was like, whoa, I didn't, like, I wouldn't have made that connection. But to see that there are people that are making these direct connections on the spot, that's it, very cool. And that's what you get with a Michael B. Jordan directing versus a 50, 60, 70-year-old, uh, you know, filmmaker. Not to kind of like say that's a bad thing, but this is a young guy that's come up through Hollywood and is going to have his own experiences. Exactly. He's going to imprint what he likes it's, it's, and what he exciting. grew up with. Exactly. I think it's just exciting. At the end of the day, like you get to see, I think the anime stuff is them taking number one, big swings. Yeah. Right. And paying homage to like the art form that made them understand that like fighting itself, it's not really about real being realistic. It's about like the story that you're trying to get across. And also a large part of how the fight plays out, especially kind of like the final fight, the main event, it's, psychological mm-hmm. it's like can i overcome you know beating up my old best friend yeah. and they can only tell that by almost going through this mind warp of all right now the the, the arena's gone, the are- gone and again that's cool as well but also logistically a lot easier to shoot versus trying to like cgi in fifty thousand people in like a baseball stadium yeah absolutely i think I think what's interesting about this movie is they do a lot of these therapy sessions where they're so open and honest with each other. But that brings like this groundedness and like realism to the movie. The fights themselves are so over the top. But within that, they're still doing these therapy sessions mm. and they're still like kind of uh, you're watching them kind of overcome like a lot of things like me- like in mentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like that feels like it's all kind of brings it all together for me. Right. And uh, it feels like uh, this movie tried to make everything feel very like over the top and like grandiose. And like these fight scenes weren't just fun. They were like stupendous. You know what I mean? Like they were like very like uh, they were very WrestleMania. You know what I mean? Right. In a lot of ways. And I I almost wish like they went all the way with it. Because Mm -hmm. like in anime movies, when they go to like an empty space, they do stop and have these conversations. Yeah. It almost like sometimes maybe it would have been cool to like zoom out and like in some way kind of make the audience understand that like we're kind of going away right now mm-hmm. we're not like like in that same way that you you know they're still in the fight and they're still fighting yeah right and you're still just following the story like that's what they did yeah but i almost wish that we got a little bit of that dialogue in that conversation like in that moment like that like they do in animes that way they're able to like go all the way in paying homage and like getting the story across the way they wanted to yeah uh, i still think it landed like very very well but i i think it's an interesting place that they can still explore in these fights going forward. One thing that we haven't spoken about, uh, which I do want to kind of get into here, is this is the first movie in the overall Rocky Creed franchise that doesn't include Sylvester Stallone, mm-hmm. right? He's given a producer's credit, but that's only because, you know, he has some kind of like, um, I guess, uh, legal affiliation to the property still. But the people need to understand the reason Stallone isn't in the movie isn't probably because they didn't think about having the Rocky character in the movie. It's because Stallone has had a major falling out with executives that own the property, mm. right? And and he's been going on a bit of a media run talking about how he's never going to watch Creed 3 and he's all down to work with Michael B. Jordan again, but only if the executive in question is no longer involved. And, yeah. and there's two ways of thinking about the character of Rocky not being involved. On the one side, you can be like, oh, that's a good thing, right? Because finally, the, I guess, the weight of Rocky not being around allows, um, you know, Adonis Creed and other characters to fully flourish on their own. I did feel that way. You felt that way? I did feel that way. And I feel like that's how, like, it let the character kind of fly by himself. Okay. 
kind of grow without the Rocky character kind of being there as like, don't forget me. Like I'm still part of this. And like, I'm mm-hmm. still the connective tissue to all, like all those movies you've seen before. Like I still get the sentiment that this is a Rocky movie and this is a Creed movie yeah. without needing Sylvester Stallone there. If I'm being honest, I missed him. Yeah. And I think it's a real shame he wasn't in the movie, even if it was a much smaller like role compared to the previous movies. Mm-hmm. And there was just some, there was like one scene in particular where I was just like, this doesn't make sense for Rocky to not be here. And the big one for me was when, you know, Felicia Richard, who plays Marianne Creed, passes away in the movie. Mm-hmm. They have the f- scene with the funeral. You telling me that Rocky wouldn't be like, hey, you know, I'm going to be there at the funeral. I'm going to help carry the casket. Like, I just felt like it, it felt like a glaring omission. I'm like, I can't be invested in the overall franchise. You know, like he literally helped you in the first movie. He's integral in the second movie. And now he's just a non-factor whatsoever in the third movie. It's funny because I wasn't thinking that in that scene. I was mm. just thinking like, I don't like this scene. Oh, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. Like that, that, that wasn't scene, a good scene. It didn't land for me. Like, yeah. That, big time. I agree with that as yeah. well. Because like, again, this isn't a perfect movie yeah. by any means. There, There are some things that happen. Some scenes I'm like... Eh, yeah, I don't yeah. know about that, for right? Sure, for yeah. sure, absolutely. And that scene in particular, a lot of, if I'm being honest, a lot of like Michael B. Jordan by himself kind of scenes, yeah, where he had to carry the emotional weight of the scene. I don't know if they landed the same way, right? Like a part of me was like, you directed this, you could have taken another take for that, right? But like, uh, like sometimes, like yeah, it just didn't land, and I felt like her dying, like that scene didn't land for me. Yeah, if I'm being completely, it, it was definitely a. Um, you know, arguably maybe the weakest point yeah. of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what about as far as best characters go? I feel like it's pretty straightforward for this one, but who'd you have? Jonathan Majors as Damien Anderson. Yeah, I agree. And I love the the chemistry of those characters as well between uh, Dame and Adonis. Like, I really bought into that. As far as, like, even the, for, the future of this franchise, like, when they do bring back Jonathan Majors, which obviously is inevitable, he feels like a strong character to bring back around. If he's mm-hmm. the guy that, like, trains his daughter or something like that like that'd be cool like there's so many different characters that you can go with like there's always death and like change in rocky and like you can see like you know his trainer that he has now probably will die at some point they always sacrifice his characters to set up for new storylines they even brought back tony bellew who was in the first creed movie back for the third creed movie like they've done so much good stuff with characters that already established in this franchise yeah i agree and dame was fantastic uh i'd still feel like we're building to Jonathan Majors having like this incredible year and he's already starting off so strong. Yep. One question I do want to ask you is which big name director would you hope to pair him with in like the near future? Great question. That's a fantastic question. You know what? Quentin Tarantino. Mm. Let's do it. I was thinking the exact same thing. It feels like Tarantino sometimes is really great at like picking the right guys at the right time. Yeah. This is the right time. I hope you got a story for him because like that would be fantastic as a pairing. Yeah. I yeah. feel like it almost would be like a disservice because he feels like he's right up QT's alley, right? Like if he were to have the right character for him, it feels like something that would just work. Like they would have fantastic chemistry. Mm-hmm. What about for Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors? They have stated that they plan on being collaborators like many times like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro cool comparison to make mm-hmm. and uh it feels like that'd be a cool thing to see like multiple movies with these guys i still even at this point it feels like they're gonna have like a similar relate similar relationship to the characters that they're portraying mm-hmm. because michael b jordan is like this big superstar guy and jonathan majors is like kind of slipping in right now as like the it guy right now and yeah they're gonna be kind of competing in like a different way and I think it's going to be interesting to see if they are competing in that way to see how they can elevate each other along you know, the way. You know what's interesting is 
first of all, I agree that we can have Damien reoccurring character in like future Creed movies. But how about we have a uh, Killmonger? or a version of Killmonger go up against Kang Ooh, in the MCU. There you go. That'd be great. That's fantastic casting right there. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Last thing actually I was going to mention, just because we are talking about what Jonathan Majors is going, I didn't want to talk about this in the news, but he is going to star in a movie with Spike Lee, mm. said to direct a movie called Duh Understudy. The, the film apparently follows a story of a life imitating art when an understudy of a Broadway production finds a role he's willing to kill for. That's the uh, the tagline or whatever okay. for it. All right. But that sounds pretty cool. And it's cool to see that he's already working with another fantastic established director. Yeah. Exactly. Listen, I think <laughs> Jonathan Majors can work with pretty much anybody right now. Yeah. Like if people are going to see what he's going to bring to the table, he goes all in. Look at, look at what he did to just showcase a physique of a fighter that's mm-hmm. just been doing everything, every, you know, the same thing every single day in a prison for like 18 years. Yeah. Right. And like, at the end of the day, he's also now a bankable actor, yeah. right? He's in the MCU. He's going to be around for like the next four, five, six years in the MCU movies, in big blockbuster movies. And, you know, that's going to give him the opportunity to perhaps do something that's a little bit indie, a little bit on the smaller side of the scale in terms of budget, but also work with interesting directors and filmmakers yeah. that want to tell unique stories. Yeah, and I think it's it's going to be interesting to see just whenever you are a guy in this position, now more than ever, all his choices are like massively important mm-hmm. because everything he chooses is going to be the trajectory of where everything else goes. Right. So when he is like picking a guy like Spike Lee to like, he's trusting his career with him. Yeah. Right. Like, especially when you're in a, like a moment like this, it, this, these are really specific choices that you got to make that are going to like either launch you to that next spot or, or may, not even launch you to the next spot, but maybe set you up so that like, Oh, I'm, he's working with Spike Lee. The QT might hear about that. And now right. it's time for the QT movie. Mm-hmm. And then he's working with the QT. And it's like, all right, well, he's working with QT Scorsese. That's up next. You know what I mean? Like, like you never know what leads to what's next, but like, it's going to be interesting to see the choices he makes. The QT thing gets, is very interesting because you've only got one more movie left. Yeah, exactly. So, please put him in your, last, in your final movie. There's a sense of urgency there for sure. Um, but let's go into best scene. What do you think for that? This was tough because I actually had two really, really favorite scenes. One you've already mentioned, but I ended up going with the fight between Adonis and Damien at the end of the movie I just thought it was so unique and fresh the whole anime angle the fight sequences I just thought that was great but also the other scene that um, I really enjoyed it's a bit of a hat tip and it's to that opening scene with the flashback mm-hmm. play to Dr. Dre's The Watcher yeah uh, man uh, it was just a great table setter like yeah. the movie starts and like the beat just slowly is there in the background I'm like oh, the way they're building with the strings like it's yeah fantastic. it's slow yeah. it's a really slow build yeah. with the song before it really kicks into the actual song yeah 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 um, I really enjoyed that I just thought like as a way of just setting the table it's of a great the driving history scene, in yeah. general like as, yeah. as far as driving scenes go like let's be honest like that's a really hard thing to nail in a movie like mm-hmm. Tarantino is fantastic at driving scenes. Uh, Edgar Wright is fantastic at driving scenes. This was a cool driving scene. Yeah. And um, that actually is great because it lays up into... That was actually one of mine too, mm-hmm. right? Definitely a contender as far as... Like even just the song, The Watcher, like the way it built was fantastic. Oh, I love uh, that song. I, I forgot, but uh, I didn't do it uh, since, but it's on my list of things to do is uh, listen to the playlist of Cree 3 at the gym. It's yeah. on my list of things to do. Definitely, definitely on the yeah, list yeah, of things yeah. to do. And and also like add, uh, just if you are a nerdy hip hop fan, there's The Watcher Part 2 on the Blueprint 2, which is fantastic. Jay-Z's on that is great. Um, and I'm pretty sure Jay-Z wrote The Watcher 1. Or it was Eminem. I forget which one. But he either wrote or produced or did something. Something yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah. I forget what it is. But uh, another one for me is this training montage I thought was fantastic. 
because not only is it the buildup where he does get to face Drago again, yeah. but when you see him get knocked down and then like see that mental battle he's going through and then he finally gets back up, like that moment when he gets back up, like I remember popping in my head. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. remember thinking like, I'm going to watch this before I go to the gym or something like that. Like that's definitely one of those moments. I love that because that's a quintessential part of why I love the Rocky Creed. Exactly. Since I was a kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. like literally, I started working out in my living room to Rocky Four training. Yeah. Mo- I would just like VHS in, play, rewind, play, rewind for 20, 30 minutes while yeah, I'm doing yeah. push ups and press ups and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah. I did the exact same stuff. And it's it's just cool. Like, the only thing that I, I feel like I could dock a little point for that one training montage. It's just that it ends on the Hollywood Hills. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I don't know why, it just didn't land the same way for me. Like, if it was just a hill, I would have been okay. But for some reason, you just see the word Hollywood on it. I'm like, eh, I don't need that. You know what's funny is uh, Stallone did the same thing in Rocky Four, but when he reaches the top of a mountain, it's like in Russia, in Siberia. He's covered in snow, and he just screams Drago, right? That just, like, says gritty underdog he's in enemy territory and when adonis does it it's the hollywood yeah, hills it's hollywood it takes me out of the moment of right. like this is something you're st- it makes the moment feel like oh it's hollywood you know how bad can it be right right <laughs> but uh but, but to your point like he michael b jordan la born and raised yeah made sure to really push home the la feel i think so too i think they get the west coast like whole feel completely down mm. right and and i'm sure it's leading into that yeah but it's just a weird visual thing that like maybe go like eh, i can live without that mm-hmm. um yeah as far as star ratings go uh five being the best zero being the worst where did this movie end up i gave it a 3.75 i really enjoyed it like i said before it's way better than creed 2 not on the same level as creed 1 in terms of my experience watching it but a real solid first effort from michael b jordan making his directorial debut i think he brought a lot of freshness to the table in terms of what he likes and his uh, inspirations mm-hmm. and things of that nature and i'm actually down to see him direct more movies whether it's in the creed universe or away from it yeah i agree with a lot of that i went with the four okay um, so we're not too far away pretty, from pretty each other. Close. yeah yeah i'd say the only thing is like i, I can imagine watching this again and mm-hmm. like being excited by it and like enjoying it I thought there's enough there with Jonathan Majors. There's enough there with the cool shots. Yep. There's a lot of cool like other shots too. Like even that situation where Dame is about to have his first fight for the title, where Adonis kind of just walks in. Yeah. And then when he's leaving, there's this shot where they're both at the doorway and they're just looking at each other. Yep. And I obviously that's a very obvious anime shot, but it just looks cool. Like it's I'm glad that they took these swings because it doesn't have to be super serious and be like, well, that wouldn't happen or blah, blah, blah. Like it just looked like a cool shot and they made decisions to make that happen. Yeah, it's a lot about like overcoming your demons and your past and letting go of things. I, I love all this. There's a lot of great things I kind of walked away with. Great movie, four stars from me. But let's go into last segment of the show. Let's get wrecked. John, what is Sandu's pick this week? This week, I'm recommending Chris Rock, Selective Outrage. This is a bold move by Netflix to, to really kind of go big time into the live space, which they don't they haven't really done too much of in the past. It's a, it's a, it's a space that Amazon has done a lot of uh, recently. But man, to do it with a Chris Rock special, no less, big, big move. And I feel like some will find the special hilarious. Some will be offended. Some will feel both, right? Either way, I just feel like given the Will Smith slap material, it's it's a must watch. Yeah. Like you have to watch it. And like, I was <laughs> like a pop culture moment. Kind yeah. Of and I was lucky because I ended up watching Chris Rock, Chris Rock live 
uh, in Las Vegas last year where some of the material did make it to the special. So you could see that he's been working on this now mm-hmm. for the last 12 months, not just the Will Smith stuff, but other material too, right? And for the most part, I had a really good time with it. Yeah, I still have to watch it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's definitely on my list though. I just, I've been trying to fully avoid what he's actually said about the Will Smith good, stuff. Good, good, you should. I've been glad yeah, because yeah. I've gotten to avoid most of it. I avoided everything too. Yeah, like, so I'm excited to still watch it. Um, for me, I just kind of thought I have to recommend anime. Like, I have to. Sure. Right? Like, I don't have a choice. This is the week I have to. But uh, especially with this, uh, I'm choosing One Punch Man. Okay. It's almost like, like the commentary of, on the idea of fighting and talking about your emotions uh, during these anime fights like that's what this movie really tried to get across with Creed 3 mm-hmm. and this show is funny because it takes that idea and it flips it on its head as well right. so it's like this meta commentary on like whatever anime is a commentary on fighting right? yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. weird right and uh, they're building these fights in this completely unserious way almost to the point where like every fight is built up like holy this guy's gonna be this massive challenger but then right. he just gets shot down so quickly right and they like it almost makes fun of the idea of like how how close these anime fights always are mm-hmm. it just completely dismisses that they're all squash matches yeah, in yeah, the yeah. show it's really great and that almost makes the weighty more serious fights feel like much more serious for some reason like obviously that's like maybe that's a like what they're hoping for but mm-hmm. it's just this super humbling show like it just brings down these idea these big superheroes and it humanizes them to when they're almost met with defeat and everyone is met with defeat except for one character. And it's re- it's really cool. But it's just like really interesting anime. It's very unique. It's it's just different from anything you'll see in that space anyways. But go out of your way to check out One Punch Man. If you do, you don't even have to watch any other seasons. I've only seen season one, if I'm right, being honest. Right. And that alone is just a fantastic experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, go out of your way to check it out. Uh, gentlemen, where can everybody find us this week? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And hey, listen, do us a favor. Give us a rating. Give us a review. It honestly goes a long way on helping our show get found by new audiences. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.